experts now are actually predicting that ChatGPT is capable of starting a new religion in the coming months, essentially going to create its own religious text for people that might be a little more interested in a more cultish type of faith. But it's also interesting as we talk about collective effervescence, the ways that tech can also emulate that experience as well when it's working properly. So I don't foresee tech really replacing religion, but it is able to kind of give us some of the effects or benefits that people may be searching for. That's Brielle Sajazi, strategist from the WGSN Insight team, reflecting on what the landscape of religion could look like in five to 10 years time. So how much does faith play a role in your life? On this episode of Lives of Tomorrow, we explore the future of religion, faith and spirituality and discuss how young people are engaging today and will do in the future. Brielle, WGSN strategist, joins me to discuss this, plus findings from her research on this and some of the insights she's come up with on this subject in her many different WGSN reports. Now at WGSN, we've explored this and we advise brands on how to approach it. And Brielle has written extensively on the topic, most recently on a report exploring modesty culture, the rise in modest clothing ranges and spaces. So I lured Brielle into this conversation because I wanted to pick her brains more and hear more about the insights that have come from her research. Welcome back to Lives of Tomorrow. My name is Carla Bazashi and I'm the CEO of WGSN, the world's leading consumer insight and trend forecasting company. So Brielle, the floor is yours. For listeners who haven't heard from you before, can you introduce yourself, please? I am a strategist at Insight. I'm a journalist born and bred, so I love approaching conversations like this with a lot of curiosity as to how the folks we study believe and think and feel. And this is a conversation that is near and dear to my heart, something I often get into with my friends. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Before we get into the conversation, though, can you tell our listeners about maybe a pivotal moment or a person in your career that's had the most impact on getting you to where you are today? I think that would be my first two managers, actually, at WGSN, who were just the most nourishing bosses and mentors and continue to be after we've all parted our separate ways. But they were two women that really understood, I guess, kind of the complexities of joining a company when you're in your early 20s and were really able to guide me through a lot of imposter syndrome that I was feeling in that moment, but then also moments that I've experienced as I've evolved throughout my career and really inspired me to hopefully get to do that for someone else in the future. Before we start properly, something for you to think about during our conversation don't answer it now, we'll come to it at the very end. And that is, what was the last time that you learned something new? So something that's had an impact on the way that you live your life or the way that you see the world. Okay? Okay. So let's get into it. If we look to the future, what does your research say in terms of whether people are going to get more or less religious? Well, it depends on who you ask and how you poll that question, because obviously it's been widely reported that we're all moving away from religion. You see the headlines about Christianity declining in membership, almost halving itself in the last few decades in Spain, where lapsed Catholics are now the largest religious group, ironically. And also this kind of phrase that there's the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, people that don't believe anything at all. And traditionally, the conversation has kind of stopped there. 
But when you're surveying a group of people about religion, it's really important to question the words that you're using. Because obviously, when we ask someone about spirituality or God or a higher power, all of those terms mean something completely different to each of us based on our context and experience. So recently in the last two years, as there's been a lot more momentum around this topic, we're seeing a whole new host of surveys come out that are diving a little deeper into how people believe so that we can get a better understanding of the future of this landscape. And what's interesting is when we dove into those nuns, a lot of young people specifically are saying that they are actually more religious than we thought. One survey of those 18 to 25 found 71% actually considered themselves to be slightly religious. So what is that religious again? It meant that they had some kind of belief, but they didn't want to necessarily engage with a traditional religious institution. And previously, those beliefs would not have been picked up in survey work, but now we're really getting to explore it. And it makes sense because if you look at the world around us, it, it feels pretty chaotic right now. It makes sense that a lot of people are kind of wanting to search for a deeper meaning when you look at things like climate disaster or political strife and not having really dependable global leadership through a lot of these mega issues. And especially for young people who are kind of entering into this world, with a lot of questions, I feel like you can either go one of two routes. One is nihilism, which people are definitely engaging in right now. And the other is kind of a soul searching process and trying to understand or question the larger meaning of it all. And we've seen that historically happen throughout time of moments of war or recession. After those sort of experiences, people having religious revivals. So it makes sense that people are questioning their beliefs a little bit more right now. How much has the pandemic had an impact on that, do you think? You know, you mentioned things like climate change, you mentioned recession, all huge impacts on the way that we all live our lives, big impacts on the world, but you can't really talk about the past, you know, decade without thinking about the pandemic. So how seismic do you think that's been in driving these sentiments? Pretty seismic. In most of the studies, when asking people about their beliefs, they found that they were more drawn to spirituality during the pandemic, which makes sense when you think about the fact that that was a time we all were really considering our day-to-day -day rituals, how to find meaning in small moments of solitude. But the thing is, during that time, we weren't able to access a main draw to religion, which is community. One of our favorite phrases around this idea is collective effervescence. And you don't have to be religious to have experienced it, but basically it's the feeling of when you're in a crowd, whether that's at a worship experience or at a concert. And there's sort of that buzz, that energy that ripples through of you all being there for a shared purpose. And that's always been a main draw to religion is having that shared capacity with strangers most of the time. But during the pandemic, even when people were reengaging with spirituality on a deeper level, they weren't able to find that buzz, that energy. But what's interesting is post-pandemic, as more people are engaging with faith, they're looking for new ways to find that feeling of collective effervescence, but in very untraditional ways. So one of my favorite examples of this comes from Maggie Rogers, one of my favorite singers. And, you know, she's just a typical U.S. pop star, but she recently went to Harvard Divinity School to study how public gatherings 
essentially concerts, affect people religiously. And she designs her concerts around you having that feeling of collective effervescence. And this is, again, something that was specifically born out of the pandemic. And we're seeing that time and time again. People are searching for that feeling outside of church, outside of the mosque. Think about the outdoor boom and how more people wanted to spend time outside. Yeah. In some of the forecasts that you've written for WGSN, you talk about science and tech and how they're filling some of the purposes that religion had previously promised. What's an example of that? If you just think about the algorithm, really, it does kind of have a mystical nature to it if you're not someone within the tech space to understand how it works. And experts now are actually predicting that ChatGPT is capable of starting a new religion in the coming months essentially going to create its own religious text for people that might be a little more interested in a more cultish type of faith. But on a more positive note, there's also aspects of tech that are able to replicate the feeling of transcendence that you again could experience from a worship type environment. So one example of that is a VR meditation app called Trip. And it's designed to emulate feelings of awe and wonder. It actually will can physically give listeners goosebumps. And the idea of it is to simulate the overview effect, which is what happens when astronauts stare down at Earth from space. And a lot of them explain that feeling of having some sort of transcendence or meaning-making moment. But it also kind of sounds similar to a near-death experience, which is another time a lot of people will turn to faith. So that's definitely a kind of a perk of tech sometimes is that you're able to have that feeling of transcendence. But it's also interesting as we talk about collective effervescence, the ways that tech can also emulate that experience as well when it's working properly. Social media definitely, you know, is a community binder. And we saw that this year on TikTok, there was something known as the Asbury Revival. And there's a college in Kentucky in the U.S. called Asbury University. It's a small Christian school, but it went massively viral when they did a 13-day nonstop worship service. And the reason why it went nonstop is because people saw it happening on TikTok. They felt that energy through their screens. A lot of them weren't religious, but they said, I don't know what this is, but I got to experience it. And it was just that feeling of, again, the community, but also this new curiosity around what is belief? What do I believe? This looks interesting. I want to experience it. So I don't foresee tech really replacing religion, but it is able to kind of give us some of the effects or benefits that people may be searching for. So what does this mean then for traditional religion? So everything that you say makes absolute sense to me. But if you're an elder or you are seriously involved in a church, we'll say the church, but in a church, what does this mean for traditional religion? If if the younger generation are looking for something quite different, even if it's the, the binding is the same, but they're not going perhaps where their parents or grandparents have gone. I think traditional religion, it's not going anywhere, but it is starting to look a little different and maybe in more of a positive light. A lot of times people relate religion to just signing up for an idea and signing up for it in totality based on, you know, whatever a religious text or a religious leader deems fit. But we're seeing a lot of, you know, staunch religious believers either switch faiths or have a more complex or nuanced relationship to their beliefs. It's no longer just a black and white, obedient nature. So we see this from actual survey work that a quarter of adults 
say that they recently changed their relationship with religion, not necessarily unsubscribing from it totally, but just having a more nuanced approach to it. And a lot of that was because of how their religion interacted with different social issues, with treatment of queer folks, or also the number of public scandals around a lot of houses of worship, unfortunately. But ultimately, this is a more positive thing for religion because it just means people are reexamining their personal relationships with it, just having a more nuanced approach to the ideas that they believe in general. Okay, we're going to try to get to know you a little better now. I've got some reoccurring questions. Don't overthink them. First thing that comes to mind. Why do you work? To make money. (laughs) I feel really happy to be a part of Gen Z and to have come after sort of the hustle culture movement. And I love the fact that my job, I love it, but it's also just a way to pay bills at the end of the day. That's absolutely fair enough. Do you have a sense of purpose in your work? I do. I think a lot of what I do is translating a lot of societal and cultural change to brands. Um, There's a lot of changing parts happening right now, and I think it's really exciting to act as a conduit between a lot of what Gen Z is thinking and feeling and helping brands proactively respond to that. Do you have a sense of purpose in your life? I think a lot of what I do in work and life is about making people think differently and making them consider different opinions, whether or not they latch on to those themselves, at least be empathetic and aware that other options are out there. When are you the most creative? Probably when I'm moving. I grew up as a dancer. And so if I'm stuck in writing, I will often get up, move around, lay on the floor and write. Doesn't really work if you're in an office, but great for working from home. When are you offline? Not as often as I would like to be. It's hard to work in trend forecasting and not be chronically online. So some days I just try to lose my phone. TikTok is like crack and it's a very hard habit to break. When was the last time that you felt you were wasting your time and you only had yourself to blame for it? Ooh, I try to never feel that way. I don't love the idea of productivity being related to morality, I guess. And I think especially as we think more about attention spans and how personal they actually are, I think it's really cool to understand that like productivity looks so different for so many people, especially for neurodivergent people, people with ADD, ADHD. And I often find that like my productivity is not always tied to my performance. So honestly, sometimes zoning out can be great. I feel you're a very positive person. Okay, let's let's get back into the topic of today. I think globally we are much more aware of that. We are more accepting of it. Big big brands are ensuring that they have modest wear as part of collections that they're creating. So it's becoming easier if you want, you know, if if your religion decrees that that's how you dress. How do you see that evolving? Again, is it is this a a trend on the rise? Or do you think that that will also change as younger generations coming back to that point I just made that people will take traditional religion and adapt it for a different world? Yeah, what I'm excited about with modesty culture is the way that it's kind of divorcing itself from religion. Traditionally, when we think about just the word modesty, it has a very moral sound to it. But we're seeing a lot of non-religious people 
look into dressing modestly actually as an act of rebellion. This is really big right now in queer culture, actually, for a lot of people who were born as females um, being told from birth, right? Like, if you're a girl, you show more skin. Your body has to look a certain way. You should be able to see that in your clothes, etc. And a way of rebelling against that is covering up, ironically. I wish I could have told my parents that when I was a kid. <laughs> so what's interesting is a lot of these modesty collections that are designed for religious people actually have this dual purpose that, again, we're seeing kind of the tension between religious and non-religious aesthetics having that value slip. So I think that'll be really interesting as we talk about the modesty market always being targeted or always being targeted for a religious consumer actually have more potential than that in the coming years. So you're seeing people think differently about their relationship with religion. Shifting slightly, Brielle, what's it like for a brand to tackle this topic? It's very tricky. I feel like religion has historically been a topic that brands don't want to touch, similar to politics. It's too personal to approach. But we're seeing a lot of brands start experimenting with it. And what's interesting is that a lot of times the religious themes that they use are kind of more symbolic of alternative culture, whereas satanic or sacrilegious themes are becoming more mainstream. So it's this weird values flip. So I'll give you an example of that. There's a really Instagram heavy brand called Praying, and they're known for using a lot of religious iconography in very sacrilegious ways. So they'll have the Holy Trinity printed on a woman's bikini. You know, another example of that could be Marc Jacobs' subbrand Heaven, which is their Gen Z sort of offshoot. And in a way, they're almost creating their own religion. They sell vintage books on hypnotism and occult theory alongside their clothes. And it's kind of this fun nod to a lot of these questions in more of a lighthearted way. But then an example of diving into traditional religion in a more respectful way, there's a candle company called Bismillah Babe. And it's founded by a young Muslim woman who wanted to create new rituals that worked with her traditional religion, but also incorporated aspects of neuroscience and how a lot of these rituals reflect actual science and can change our brain pathways, etc. And she created this candle company that gives people a way to celebrate these rituals, both new and old. I'm going to go back a little bit here into some of these emerging religious behaviours or even emerging religions. Are there any specific religions that you see on a kind of big upward trajectory and that in 10 years, 20 years time will feel part of the establishment, as it were? It's hard to say because a lot of people's beliefs don't have a name to them. People are still searching for how to categorize what they believe right now. They're searching for if they look to a specific text, if they look to a specific leader, if they use a certain ritual. So I feel like right now is still a period of searching. And also there's a potentiality that people don't even want to name it. That kind of has a lot of fear to it because then it is an institution. We know where that road has <laughs> led when it comes to religion. So it could be kind of a way where people are believing things that go unnamed, which will be a very interesting shift. You can see, not if you were cynical about it, but 
if you were concerned about it, that is this just lots of sort of cults rising up? And cults are obviously, again, have huge negative connotations for for a good reason. And I mean, our our streaming services are full of exposés of cults. That's a kind of favourite topic at the moment. But the way you're talking, it's not that it is people searching for something and then finding a collective around it, but not necessarily having one individual in charge. I think that's quite an interesting shift as well. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the hope. I think I think people will still unfortunately be susceptible to cults because they really attach to that reptilian part of our brain that wants to follow a piece of order and someone that seems to know what they're doing and have figured out life. And I think that's that's not going to go away in serious ways that are potentially worrisome, but also sillier ways. You know, a lot of brands or influencers refer to their community as cults. One of my favorites is a newsletter, Snackshot. She refers to herself as a cult leader for snacks. So I think it's funny that cults were very fascinated by them. Netflix has a new documentary about some new cult every other month. But it's also something that we're also willing to engage in in a weird way. Do you personally have a connection with a particular religion, if you're comfortable talking about that? Yeah, I've been on a very interesting religious journey over the last year. I actually, it was my New Year's resolution to spend every two months with a different religion. And my issue with that was I started out with Buddhism, and Buddhism's beautiful. And I've kind of just stuck to that for a second longer because I wasn't I wasn't ready to move on to the next But yeah, I think I'm definitely one of those people that I was talking about earlier who realized that a lot of what you believe is dictated by just happenstance, again, of who your parents were and where you grew up. So I'm enjoying this time of my life right now where I'm exploring, questioning what I believe, and I'm wanting to learn a lot more about what other people believe. What religion are you going to move on to if you can tear yourself away from Buddhism? I'm really interested in Islam and also Hinduism. But, you know, we'll see. So this is this is all going to be part of the 2023 journey. Although if that was your news resolution and we are about halfway into the year, you, <laughs> you're a little behind at the moment. I am. I am. The first one. There's definitely a kind of commitment to the research there, which is very admirable. But I would love to come back and have this conversation at the end of the year and see how that exploration has uh, has gone. So what have you learned from Buddhism that has connected with you so strongly? So much. A lot of it being that it doesn't have to really be a religion in your life, which is obvious to Buddhists, but was news to me. It can be more so of a lifestyle and a mindset that you apply to your day to day. And something that I loved about that was the tools that it offers in terms of dealing with emotions, your thoughts, your actions. And it's a very esoteric practice as well, which for me as a researcher and a nerd, absolutely love that. It's not the type of thing that you can quickly understand in a pamphlet or a story. It really is a lot of reading and also connecting with other people that believe in it, attending practice, and also a personal journey of meditation and where that can take you, which I'm still working on doing that consistently. But yeah, it's it's a really exciting thing to just get to kind of nerd out in terms of religion, which I haven't done before. Did you grow up in a particular religion? 
I grew up in Christianity. I'm from the Midwest, so good old Bible belt. And definitely that was how a lot of my childhood and education was framed, for sure. Okay. Are you more anxious or hopeful about the future of religion? Uh, It depends on the day. (laughs) Depends on the day and the headlines of what I'm reading. Um, I feel like it's very easy to feel both. But at the end of the day, it will just really matter the types of leaders that we're plugging into and their intentions behind wanting to find belief. But I'm going to choose to be hopeful in this moment. Okay, let's get back to the question from the beginning, although I feel maybe you might have answered this in your research into Buddhism recently, but I'm going to ask it anyway. When did you last learn something new that's had an impact on the way you live your life? I was going to say Buddhism. (laughs) You can say it. It's all right. (laughs) Okay, yes. So definitely within Buddhism, I loved the idea around being able to, there's this concept of like being able to touch your happiness and touch your sadness. And a lot of us are familiar with touching our sadness if you've ever been in therapy, really sitting with negative emotions, understanding why you feel them, and trying to sort out how to work your way through them. But not a lot of us touch our happiness, which is trying to understand what makes you feel joy and more specifically why. And really sitting and spending time with those emotions and that feeling. And um, that's something that I've been very intentional about to try to curate a more a happier life. So that's definitely been something I've been thinking about. Brielle, thank you so much. I've loved this conversation. I'm just fascinated. And I obviously, I read your forecast. So I know, I know what we're predicting, but it's really lovely to hear how you've got to this point and obviously the journey that you're going on, which is informing a lot of it. So thank you so much for being so open and honest and talking to me today. Thank you, Brielle, for your insights and your personal stories related to religion and taking us on the journey you've started. And that's it for today. I hope in this episode you've come to learn more about the current religious landscape, how it impacts us, and from this discussion formed your own view. And I do hope you found it just as interesting and insightful as I did. As always, let me know what you think about this podcast. You can write to me on lives at wgsn.com to give me your input. Next week, my colleague Bethan Ryder, host of WGSN's Create Tomorrow podcast, will be back with another episode all about the future of design. For now, I'm Carla Bazashi, CEO of WGSN. I'll see you next time.